Welcome to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode and today we are going to be talking about a very interesting subject. We will get into more but before we get started as usual let's start with a word of prayer. So with that let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us this day and for leading and guiding and directing us. We ask that you be with us as we study your word and become more like you. Help us to be prepared for your soon coming and help us to have our characters be more like you and less like ourselves. We ask that you continue to help us with the temptations that we may face and with helping to share the gospel with more people. We ask all this in your precious, holy, wonderful son's name. Amen. Alright, so let's get right into it because we have a lot to talk about. So much that this is going to be more than one part. I'm not sure if it's going to be three parts yet, but I'm hoping to make it into two parts. We'll see. As you all know, we love a good parable. We've been reading through Christ Object Lessons for a while now. We've gotten quite a ways through. We've drifted not in order, but we've drifted through quite a bit so far. And today I wanted to read to you another parable. It is called Go Into the Highways and Hedges. With that being said, I wanna jump right in because there's a lot to cover here and a lot to discuss. Let's see, it starts off like this. The savior was a guest at the feast of a Pharisee. He accepted invitations from the rich as well as the poor. And according to his custom, he linked the scene before him and with his lessons of truth. Among the Jews, the sacred feast was connected with all their seasons of national and religious rejoicing. It was to them a type of the blessings of eternal life. The great feast of, at which they were to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob while the Gentiles stood without and looked onto with longing eyes was a theme on which they delighted to dwell. The lesson of warning and instruction which Christ desired to give, he now illustrated by the parable of a great supper. The blessings of God both for the present and for the future life, the Jews thought to shut up to themselves. They denied God's mercy to the Gentiles. By the parable, Christ showed that they were themselves at that very time rejecting the invitation of mercy, the call to God's kingdom. He showed that the invitation which they had slighted was to be sent to those whom they despised, those from whom they had drawn away their garments as if they were lepers to be shunned. You know, it's similar in this day and age. We sometimes see it and it's prevalent. There is so many people or types of people out there that we just despise or don't like or we avoid because of the way they may look or act or whatever the reason might be. And there's even some unfortunately racial prejudice and people thinking one way or the other about that and many arguments and people just not getting along and it's such a sad state because we are counseled to love our enemies even and we are counseled to share the gospel with everyone no matter what so even in this day and age we still struggle with it and christians are no different than anybody else we have seen how people treat other people we have seen how people go out of their way to avoid certain people and that's just not christ's way of doing things we have to be kind to those who are different we have to be kind to everyone we meet and no matter what they may say or do we have to be like jesus and the lord is willing to help us where we fall because i think we've all been there at a time when we just don't want to talk nice to people that we meet. Anyway, 
she continues. In choosing the guests for his feast, the Pharisee had consulted his own selfish interests. Christ said to him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So in other words, don't just do things because you expect reward out of them. Do them because it's a nice thing to do. Christ was here repeating the instruction he had given to Israel through Moses. At their sacred feast, the Lord had directed that the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied. Deuteronomy 14.29 These gatherings were to be as object lessons to Israel being thus taught the joy of true hospitality. The people were throughout the year to care for the bereaved and the poor, and these feasts had a wider lesson. The spiritual blessings given to Israel were not for themselves alone. God had given the bread of life to them that they may break it to the world. And we still have that same mission today. It's not just for us alone. Once we know the truth, we have an obligation and a duty to share it with others. So, this work they had not fulfilled. Christ's words were a rebuke to their selfishness. To the Pharisees, his words were distasteful, hoping to turn the conversation into another channel. One of them, with a sanctimonious air, exclaimed, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. This man spoke with great assurance, as if he himself were certain of a place in the kingdom. His attitude was similar to the attitude of those who rejoice that they are saved by Christ when they do not comply with the conditions upon which salvation is promised. His spirit was like that of Balaam when he prayed, Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Numbers 23.10 The Pharisees were not thinking of his own fitness for heaven, but of what he hoped to enjoy in heaven. His remark was designed to turn away the minds of the guests at the feast from the subject of their practical duty. He thought to carry them past the present life to the remote time of the resurrection of the just. Sometimes we still do that when topics come up or when conversations are going on and we may not like hearing the truth. We try to change the subject. We try to talk about something else. We don't want to hear it because it pricks our guilty conscience. And we also do anything we can to avoid that because then we know we have to change and we need to change because we won't be getting into heaven if we have attitudes like that. But Christ read the heart of the pretender and fastening his eyes upon him, he opened before the company the character and value of their present privileges. He showed them that they had a part to act at that very time in order to share in the blessedness of the future. A certain man, he said, made a great supper and bade many. When the time of the feast arrived, the host sent his servants to the expected guests with a second message. Come, for all things are now ready. But a strange indifference was shown. All with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. 
you know, it's fascinating because if somebody was invited to a party these days, they wouldn't make that excuse. I mean, come on, you can go and tend to your oxen another day. You don't have to do it right then and there. You can push it off till tomorrow. These people are making bad excuses. And I mean, obviously, if you married a wife, you are, well, newlywed, but obviously it's not just right after the wedding and you're on your honeymoon. So come on, you can come to a party. It's not that big of a deal. And buying land, the land isn't going anywhere. You can go to that land at any time. So none of the excuses were founded on a real necessity. And that is what she says. The man who must needs go and see his piece of ground had already purchased it. His haste to go and see it was due to the fact that his interest was absorbed in his purchase. The oxen too had been bought. The proving of them was only to satisfy the interest of the buyer. The third excuse had no more semblance of reason. The fact that the intended guest had married a wife need not have prevented his presence at the feast. This is literally what I just said. <laughs> Take your wife and go do something fun with her. I'm sure she would have enjoyed going to the party. And so all of these excuses just fell flat. His wife also would have been made welcome. See, she says that too. <laughs> but he had his own plans for enjoyment and these seemed to him more desirable than the feast he had promised to attend. He had learned to find pleasure in other society than that of the host. He did not ask to be excused, made not even a pretense of courtesy in his refusal. The I cannot was only a veil for the truth. I do not care to come. And that's the real thing. If you have this huge party set up and you invite what you think are your friends and they're all like, you know what? <laughs> I just remembered something I have to do very urgently. And they all make these excuses not to come. We would be upset, sad, angry, all these emotions rolling into one, kind of wondering why on earth no one wanted to come and what their real reason was. You you think of these things, you can't help it. The question is, is if you would be brave enough to ask, are you really not able to come or do you just not like me or want to be around me anymore? But this is so sad when you think about it, like in these terms, like these excuses are nothing. You can invite your wife, go out and have a good time. No, you just don't care. And you're not even making excuses anymore. You're so indifferent that you don't even apologize for not coming, which is so rude. All the excuses betray a preoccupied mind. To these intended guests, other interests had become all-absorbing. The invitation they had pledged themselves to accept was put aside, and the generous friend was insulted by their indifference. By the Great Supper, Christ represents the blessings offered through the gospel. The provision is nothing less than Christ himself. He is the bread that comes down from heaven, and from him the streams of salvation flow. The Lord's messengers had proclaimed to the Jews the advent of a Savior. They had pointed to Christ as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. In the feast he had provided, God offered to them the greatest gift that heaven can bestow, a gift that is beyond computation. The love of God had furnished the costly banquet and had provided inexhaustible resources. If any man eat of this bread, Christ said, he shall live forever, John 6, 51. What a beautiful thing to know and to see that we have been given such a wonderful gift, such as Christ, and we sometimes, sadly, very sadly, make excuses 
as to why we don't want him in our lives or we push him to the side. We've all been there. We have all done it. We are all at fault and we all need to be better in having Christ rule our life and not us ruling our life. We need to make sure that we are at this feast because it'll be a sad sad day when that feast comes when he comes back and we're not ready we won't be going and there will be much weeping and gnashing of teeth we're told but that will be discussed more later on in this chapter she continues but in order to accept the invitation to the gospel feast they must make their worldly interests subordinate to the one purpose of receiving christ and his righteousness God gave all for man, and he asked him to place his service above every earthly and selfish consideration. He cannot accept a divided heart. The heart that is absorbed in earthly affections cannot be given to God, which is true. This is what we were just talking about. If our affections are on things of this world, we pretty soon lose grasp of things that are holy and lovely and good and unfortunately in some way shape or form in our lives we might still be clinging to that i don't know i mean none of us are perfect so we all have things that we have to work on and the lord is so merciful and so good that he wants to work on that with us if we give it to him and we should be willing and i'm speaking to myself as well as all of you i am not perfect by any means there are many things in my life that I need to give to God and I want to give to God. So she continues, the lesson is for all time. We are to follow the Lamb of God whithersoever he goeth. His guidance is to be chosen, his companionship valued above the companionship of earthly friends. Christ says, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10:37. Around the family board, when breaking their daily bread, many in Christ's day repeated the words, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Christ showed how difficult it was to find guests for the table, provided at infinite cost. Those who listened to his words knew that they had slighted the invitation of mercy. To them, worldly possessions, riches, and pleasures were all absorbing. With one constant, they had made excuse. So it is now, the excuses urged for refusing the invitation to the feast cover the whole ground of excuses for refusing the gospel invitation. Men declare that they cannot imperil their worldly prospects by giving attention to the claims of the gospel. They count their temporal interests as of more value than the things of eternity. The very blessings they have received from God become a barrier to separate their souls from their creator and redeemer. I mean, you've heard people make excuses. I'll give myself to God when I'm older. I want to enjoy and have some fun. I want to do stuff now while I'm young. Well, unfortunately, in this day and age, you could die tomorrow, which is horrible. But the thing is, is we have to live each day as if it is our last, but prepare for a future to come. And so every day we need to be living one with God. She says, they will not be interrupted in their worldly pursuits. And they say to the messenger of mercy, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Acts 24, 25. Other urge the difficulties that would rise in their social relations should they obey the call of God. No one will want to hang out with me. They'll think I'm weird. I don't want to be an outcast. I don't want people not to like me. You've heard those excuses too, I'm sure. She says, they say they cannot afford to be out of harmony with their relatives and acquaintances. Thus, they prove themselves to be the very actors described in the parable. The master of the feast regards their flimsy excuses as showing contempt for his invitation. The man who said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come, represents a large class. 
Many there are who allow their wives or their husbands to prevent them from heeding the call of God. If I follow God, maybe I won't even find a spouse. Maybe I'll be single and alone forever. Or maybe I won't be able to do certain things that my spouse likes. Or, oh, well, my spouse does it, so that means I should do it too. Whatever the excuses people come up with, there are hundreds of them. She continues, the husband says, I cannot obey my convictions of duty while my wife is opposed to it. Her influence would make it exceedingly hard for me to do so. The wife hears the gracious call, come, for all things are now ready. And she says, I pray thee, have me excused. My husband refuses the invitation of mercy. He says that his business stands in the way. I must go with my husband, and therefore I cannot come. The children's hearts are impressed. They desire to come, but they love their father and mother. And since these do not heed the gospel call, the children think that they cannot be expected to come. They too say, have me excused. It's so sad, really, when you think about it, how much influence other people have on our lives. We should follow God no matter what anybody says. But the reality is, we allow our family, our friends, and other people in our life to have sway over us, which is unfortunate. And we've all been there. It is a hard thing to stand out and be apart. But you know what? We are called to do just that. And being a Christian means to be a peculiar people and to stand not ashamed of the gospel and of the truth that we are following. It doesn't matter what people think or say or do. Our duty first should be to God. And may the Lord help us with that because it can be very difficult to say, no, I can't do that. No, I don't want to talk about those things. No, I would rather follow Jesus in my conscience. Being a Christian takes bravery <laughs> and we should all be praying for more bravery and for more of that determination to stand for the right no matter who we're talking to. She continues, all these refuse the Savior's call because they fear division in the family circle. They suppose that in refusing to obey God, they are ensuring the peace and prosperity of the home. But this is a delusion. Those who sow selfishness will reap selfishness. In rejecting the love of Christ, they reject that which alone can impart purity and steadfastness to human love. They will not only lose heaven, but will fail of the true enjoyment of that for which heaven was sacrificed. Hmm. In the parable, the giver of the feast learned how his invitation had been treated, and being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. The host turned from those who despised his bounty, and invited a class who were not full, who were not in possession of houses and lands. He invited those who were poor and hungry, and who would appreciate the bounties provided. The publicans and the harlots, Christ said, go into the kingdom of God before you. Matthew 21, 31. However wretched may be the specimens of humanity that men spurn and turn aside from, they are not too low, too wretched for the notice and love of God. That is an amazing thing because that just shows how much love God has for us as sinners and that we have this blessed hope that we can turn to him no matter how far you think you may have sunk please cling to the rock which is christ and he can pull you out of whatever miry darkness or despair or things that you have fallen into christ can bring you up and make you whole again and that is a wonderful thing christ longs to have careworn weary oppressed human beings come to him he longs to give them the light and joy and peace that are to be found nowhere else the various sinners are the object of his great 
earnest pity and love. He sends his Holy Spirit to yearn over them with tenderness, seeking to draw them to himself. The servant who brought in the poor and the blind reported to his master, It is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Here Christ pointed to the work of the gospel outside the pale of Judaism, in the highways and byways of the world. In obedience to this command, Paul and Barnabas declared to the Jews, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed acts 13 46 through 18 the gospel message proclaimed by christ's disciples was the announcement of his first advent to the world it bore to men the good tidings of salvation through faith in him it pointed forward to his second coming in glory to redeem his people and it set before him the hope through faith and obedience of sharing the inheritance of the saints in light this message is given to men today, and at this time, there is coupled with it the announcement of Christ's second coming as at hand. The signs which he himself gave of his coming have been fulfilled, and by the teaching of God's words, we may know that the Lord is at the door, which is something very sobering to think about. We must get our acts together. Christ is coming soon, and we need to proclaim that message to the world. There are still people in this world who don't believe that God is even real, that all of this is not going to happen. We must share the love that we have. We must share God's love to the world and that he is coming soon and he wants everyone to be there with him. John in the Revelation foretells the proclamation of the gospel message just before Christ's second coming. He beholds an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. In the prophecy, this warning of the judgment with its connected messages is followed by the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds of heaven. The proclamation of the judgment is an announcement of Christ's second coming as at hand. And this proclamation is called the everlasting gospel. Thus, the preaching of Christ's second coming, the announcement of its nearness, is shown to be an essential part of the gospel message. We must share that with the world. The Bible declares that in the last days, men will be absorbed in worldly pursuits. And we see this all the time. People care more about their technology and their fun than they do about anything else. In pleasure and in money getting, there's always somewhere to go, something to do, something better that is pulling you. Satan is doing his best to get people to not think about eternity and to not be ready. And he pulls in one direction and then in another direction. And he makes things appealing for a reason. But little do we realize the trap that is actually before us when we enter into those places and do those things. Instead, we must fix our eyes on things above and not on things below. 
She says they will be blind to eternal realities. Christ says, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 37 and 39. So it is today. Men are rushing on in the chase for gain and selfish indulgence, as if there were no God, no heaven, and no hereafter. In Noah's day, the warning of the flood was sent to startle men in their wickedness and call them to repentance. So the message of Christ's soon coming is designed to arouse men from their absorption in worldly things from their absorption in worldly things. It is intended to awaken them to a sense of eternal realities, that they may give heed to the invitation to the Lord's table. The gospel invitation is to be given to all the world, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, Revelation 14, 6. The last message of warning and mercy is to lighten the whole earth with its glory. It is to reach all classes of men, rich and poor, high and low. Go out into the highways and hedges, Christ says, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. The world is perishing for want of the gospel. People are wanting it, whether they realize it or not. They're searching for something to fill that hole. There is a famine for the word of God. There are few who preach the word unmixed with human tradition. Though men have the Bible in their hands, they do not receive the, the blessing that God has placed in it for them. The Lord calls upon his servants to carry his message to the people. The word of everlasting life must be given to those who are perishing in their sins. We are called to do this work and we must do this work every single day in whatever way you feel called to do it maybe it's to hand out books or literature and pamphlets when you go out and about maybe do your own youtube channel or podcast or maybe it's to write to people or whatever the lord impresses you to do maybe you're called to stand at the side of the road and preach the message i don't know what the lord is calling you to do you have to pray and ask the lord for that direction in your life and see how he wants you to to share the gospel but point is is to make sure that we are sharing and telling the world that christ is coming soon that he has prepared this wonderful feast for us that he has given us all of these things and it is such a beautiful and wonderful thing and that is what people want to hear that is the message that we should be giving to people because it is a beautiful message a wonderful message in the command to go into the highways and hedges, Christ sets forth the work of all whom he calls to minister in his name. The whole world is the field for Christ's ministers. The whole human family is comprised in their congregation. The Lord desires that his word of grace shall be brought home to every soul. To a great degree, this must be accomplished by personal labor. This was Christ's method. His work was largely made up of personal interviews. He had a faithful regard for the one soul audience. Through that one soul, the message was often extended to thousands. You never know what may happen by you sharing the gospel just to one person. There was a story that I heard recently, and I'll make it brief, but of this missionary and his wife who went to Africa, and the wife died during childbirth, and so the husband gave up. But before the wife died, she witnessed to this little boy, and finally 
convinced this boy to give his heart to Christ. Well, the daughter eventually grew up and she had been given to another family to be raised because the dad was just in total grief and despair. And anyway, she was eventually married and she read about this story and she knew about her parents that were trying to start this church over there in Africa and how there was a church there now because that little boy when he grew up he brought his whole entire village to the Lord and now hundreds of people were worshiping there and she was able to find out where her real father was and go to her real father and bring him back to the Lord and it's just a wonderful story to show that he thought all was hopeless that they went there for nothing but because they followed God's calling on their life that little boy received the message and that little boy went on to convert hundreds of people so we just don't know the ripple effect that we can have on somebody's life and that is an amazing thing to think about we are not to wait for souls to come to us we must seek them out where they are when the world has been preached in the pulpit the work has but just begun there are multitudes who will never be reached by the gospel unless it is carried to them so we must go and we must carry that message because who else is going to do it each one reach one that is the common thing that you hear and it's the truth because we all have to do it together it can't just be a few people working together make the job get done quicker because there are billions of people in this world and so many of them don't even know the love of christ i just wanted to leave you with this message and this is part one so we will finish this up in the next podcast Remember what it says in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And with all that being said, let your light so shine so that you are a star witness for the Lord.